1: Let's begin today with a word of caution for our listeners. Discretion is advised here, and this might not be the episode for everybody, and especially might not be the episode for kids. The topic that my guest, Garrett Johnson, bravely takes on includes his turning away from the homosexual lifestyle and identity, and his work with Courage, the Catholic ministry that walks with our brothers and sisters who have same-sex attraction to a life of chastity. Chastity in the Catholic Church, Garrett reminds us, is a long tradition for all kinds of people, including single people, including priests and religious, including married people who don't want children, including the Virgin Mary, and including Jesus Christ. From Garrett, I heard a significantly different approach to this pressing social question than I got from Father Jim Martin, the Jesuit journalist and author of Building a Bridge, whom I talked to uh, back in September and whom Garrett is responding to now. Both Garrett and Father Jim agree 100% that we must love and welcome our gay brothers and sisters and fiercely defend their Christian dignity against all detractors. But Garrett disagrees with those who think the church should follow the example of mainstream secular culture and treat the homosexual act and lifestyle as an alternative, equally valid way to be, that love is love. So I bet some listeners will disagree strongly and others agree completely, and I welcome emails from both. I welcome suggestions for future guests to keep the conversation going. That's the purpose. I really enjoyed talking to Father Jim and I found Garrett's arguments wise and illuminating. Why the warning about listener discretion? Well, because Garrett talks about sex and especially gay sex and also because in his own experience, his sexuality was formed by difficulties in his childhood. Cruel schoolyard bullies, an estranged father and generational family injuries. Whether these environmental harms make him a typical or atypical gay man, I have no idea. But I did ask him, what about the happy gay couples we know? I can think of a couple of neighbors right now or the people we see on TV. And he does not claim to speak for everyone. But he has done the serious inquiry and he serves in the Courage Apostolate and he can speak to what the Catholic Church teaches and why. That said, I hope to continue to talk about the big questions with openness, with trust, and with love. I know that I am a wretched sinner and I bet that you are too, and yet we are all made in the image and likeness of God, and he is love, and he has big plans for us all.
0: For some reason, I get the feeling that they no longer think we're capable of the greatness that Pope Benedict spoke of when he said, we're not called to comfort, we're called to greatness. I think there are a lot of people in the church that no longer think that we're capable of that, and I think in particular of people with same-sex attraction. We're treated like like where se- to have sex is the most important thing to us. And if we're not allowed to do that, that, w- that our lives are somehow being dim- diminished. And I, I don't agree with that at all. I think obviously sex between a man and woman in a marriage is a beautiful thing, a gift from God. Um, but everyone outside of that is called chastity and chastity properly lived is a beautiful thing.
1: Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris O'Bignett, and I will be asking interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. And I hope this format in relationship and dialogue in back and forth may help us approach the truth and to have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you to please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Garrett Johnson. His website is BrotherWithoutOrder.com, and he publishes a blog and YouTube videos there. He also works with Courage, an apostolate for people experiencing same-sex attraction who are working to live a life of chastity. His day job is hairdresser, which makes me happy because I also have a day job. And thank you so much for being here today, Garrett, and thank you for being my guest today. Good to meet you too, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: So what is Courage? Courage is... Uh, the apostolate in the church for people who experience same-sex attraction and, as you said, want to live um, a chaste life following the teachings of the church? It makes
1: me think of the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, courage. It makes me think of the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. And the third mystery is the crowning of thorns. And the fruit of that mystery is courage. And when I hear your story, oh yes. I know that you yes. have... Worn uh, a crown of thorns yourself? Yes. For much of your life. Uh, yes. Would you tell us about courage and how you found it?
0: Okay. Well, I was uh, raised Catholic, nominally Catholic. I would say we went to church uh, on Sundays and you know Easter and Christmas, and that was it. Um, speaking to my mother about it recently, she told me that we used to pray together. I do not have any memory of that. Um, and what I. Do tell people before I start sharing my story is that I am aware of the fact that my memories are not perfect. None of our memories are perfect. Um, so, the way I remember things happening with my family members or whatever, um, I always just present that as being my understanding of it or my perception of it. It's not necessarily what they intended. And that has been very helpful for me to understand um, as I've gotten older. Um, but mm-hmm. So we went to church, but there really wasn't, from my memory, a lot of, of what you would consider to be Catholic living, living out our faith and our family. My father was and is, at the very least, an agnostic, if not an atheist. Um, so he never went to church. He never had any real part in our, our um, practice of our faith. And at certain times, he denigrated it. Um, so I, I don't really remember having a strong connection to the teachings of the church or really having a strong sense of belief. Um, so I just went along because it was something I had to do when I got to be in the seventh grade. My parents, in an effort to, uh, get me a better education, sent me to a private Christian school. My mother didn't know there was really any difference between Catholic and Christian, I found out there was once I got there because almost immediately when I told people I was Catholic, I I was told I was going to hell. Uh, Because we worship statues, because we prayed to the Pope, all the, a lot of the the, uh, misunderstandings that you hear from um, some Protestants when you talk about the faith. So I was at school for eight hours a day. I was in the Catholic church and CCD class for at the most two hours a week. Um, so I, I just kind of started to believe what the Christian school was telling me at a certain point, one of the teachers in one of my Bible classes was explaining to me, uh, was explaining to us that, um, Genesis was literal. And I remembered that in my CCD class, we were told that it was, it was true, but it was not necessarily a historical telling of what happened. So I went to the yeah, CCD yeah. teacher and asked him what the deal was. And his response was, don't worry about that.
1: <laughs> so in, um, in hindsight, would you call it a, a fundamentalist uh, school? Or what, what kind of Christian school would you call
0: I it? I would say non-deno- non-denominational or fundamentalist. It definitely wasn't. There was no, it was just Camp Springs Christian school. There was no Baptist, Methodist, any distinction. And uh, Um, were you in Maryland at this point? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, So uh, when he told me, don't worry about it, because I was worried about it, I told my mother, I don't want to be confirmed into the Catholic Church because they cannot explain what they believe. And my mother at the time, who would acknowledge now that her faith was not very strong, said, okay, I'm not going to force you. Because I think around that, I was around maybe 12 or 13 So I was old enough that I guess she felt I could make a decision like that for myself. Um, So that stopped. We stopped going to church. And my only interaction with Christianity was through that school. I eventually, uh, there was an altar call that I responded to, um, and I became saved. But uh, there was no change, no change in my behavior, no change in Um, anything except that I felt like I became more accepted by the people in the school. Um, But, you know, that was the end of it. Um, So I I barely made it through high school. I was a terrible student. There were a lot of problems in my family. I didn't have a really great relationship with my dad after a certain point. Uh, It's kind of a mystery what happened because when I was younger, we had a, a, a strong bond. I have pictures that, of me like laying in his arms and all, this different, um, all these different things that I don't really remember, unfortunately. I remember mostly negative things in talking to my mother about it after the fact, many years later, she told me that my father, something happened. She didn't know what either. And he just kind of cut everybody off emotionally um, and distanced himself from me and my brother and my mother. Um, and do you think it could have been something spiritual or something psychological
1: or uh, some other mysterious dark secret that he had that nobody ever found out? I think
0: it was might be a combination of all of that. I definitely think it was psychological in part because when I got around the age that I think he cut us off, I started to have some problems. They didn't last long, but they were they, they reflected some of his behavior. So I think it may have been partially that. And then because of those feelings and whatever happened to him as a child, because he had a very he he hates his parents. Um, his parents are dead, but um, he has very strong feelings towards them. So I don't know exactly what went on in his family um, because I never met my grandparents. He wouldn't even let me near them.
1: Yeah. And how, how old were you when you had those same kind of feelings, those same uh... Uh, those same um, disturbances in your own in your own
0: oh you mean when I felt that in myself it was in my late 40s
1: yeah how old are you now if, if I may ask how old are you now 50 oh okay so, not so it was only a few yeah. years
0: ago and what I interpreted that to be I mean I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not trained in psychology but I, I remember as a kid always hearing about midlife crises and how men at that age, when I was young, you know, they'd get a new car, they'd get a new girlfriend. And I started wondering if that was a time where God was trying to redirect us. And if we don't have a connection to God, that redirection goes off in all sorts of terrible directions. Whereas if we do have a connection to God, he's able to, even though it's very painful, redirect us in the way that it's intended to. Um, Oh, I, I... Yeah, I, I feel that too. I
1: think you're right. I think uh, as I'm 45 myself, and I, I do feel in a new season of life called to new adventures and hopefully good ones, right? Hopefully interesting spiritual quests mm-hmm. and not some dysfunctional midlife crisis. The way, I mean, exactly as you describe it, as we're all familiar with, where somebody you know runs away from his family and moves to Argentina, right. and I don't know, runs away, does something different. Um, well, anyway. Just, to, I'll, I'll, I'm just saying, I know what you I'm just saying I agree.
0: <laughs> right. And if we're told that ahead of time, I think then we can make better choices, but our, our church doesn't talk about it because for whatever reason, I don't know. And our culture is willing and ready to fill in the gap. If the church doesn't talk about it and say, well, if they're not going to tell you what it means, we'll tell you what it means. Get a new girlfriend, get your wife, you know, get rid of her, ignore your kids, or whatever it is, but the net effect was me feeling like I had done something to make my father hate me, Um, and at that point, I was also exposed to pornography, Um, and my mother started to draw closer to me, because I believe, and because of the fact that her, she was having problems with my dad, she started to kind of latch on to me. So everything just kind of got thrown out of whack all of a sudden. Now, during those earlier years, you know, I, there were girls that I had crushes on. Um, Lynette, Keisha, and Donna. They were innocent things, you know, I, I didn't want to have sex with them. I wanted to hold their hand. I wanted to kiss them, but, you know, innocent kissing, those kinds of things, Um, but what started happening is I started being told by people that I was gay. The first time that happened was when I, I believe I was in kindergarten. I was in the little area where we changed our coats and one kid just yelled the word faggot at me. I didn't know what that meant. Um, people laughed and I felt really bad, um, but I just kind of kept it to myself. You know, nobody defended me. I I don't know if the teacher was in the room. Um, but if she was or he was, nothing was said. Um, and then that started happening more and more. And I, I, I didn't know why, because like, I, I mean, I did eventually learn what it meant and that that confused me because I, I had no attraction to boys, you know, I, Um, I didn't have a connection to them, so it wasn't that there was, there was nothing there, what was there was, um, not a lot of acceptance in general. In my neighborhood, the kids in my neighborhood, the boys, I did, because I remember playing football and kickball and, and things like that. So there it wasn't so bad, but at school, for some reason, I just, I did not feel integrated with the rest of the boys. Um. And so I started to get closer to my mother. People started telling me, I had a teacher at one point tell me that I would make a beautiful woman. What the? Um, Huh. Which is not helpful, obviously. Um, So there were just all these very confusing things going on. And then I was exposed to porn. So then in hindsight, the way I view that is I was exposed to um, people being objects. Up until that point, that wasn't something that I would have thought of, you know, to use somebody for pleasure. But suddenly here it was first, it was playboy. So it was just nude women. Then it was a magazine that showed people simulating sex. So it was naked men and women. Um, and there was a certain point this, I think you might want to tell people this is an adult.
1: <laughs> Cause yeah, you're right. I'll put a little, uh, caution. At
0: okay. the beginning. All right. Um, at a certain point, I was looking at this magazine, and I was I was not aroused by the woman anymore because I'd been looking at her. I believe because I'd been looking at her for an extended period of time with this magazine, and I looked at the man, and I was uh, horrified. Is probably <laughs> is probably an accurate word, though I wouldn't have thought of it at the time. I was scared because I thought this is what people have been saying I am, and. Mi- now maybe I am. Maybe I am. Then there were some girls that I liked that I, I heard tell people I was gay. So one girl was standing very close to me. Someone said, I think Garrett likes you. She said, Garrett's gay. And I just remember thinking, maybe they all know something about me I don't know. Maybe they do. So I gave I I I remember consciously telling myself that I gave up on women. I just wasn't going to try because it also, I'm very tenderhearted. So when I was rejected by women, where most boys that I saw would just move on to the next woman, I took it once again as something very personal, that there was something wrong or or not good enough about me. Um, And I just didn't want that pain anymore. So I decided I just won't have anything to do with anybody and I'll kind of go into this fantasy world of looking at pornography. So through the rest of high school, that's what I did when I got out of high school. Immediately I, I got a job and I started hanging out with those people and drinking a lot. So I went from no drugs, no alcohol ever to drinking hard liquor. Um, that progressed to weed that those two things then started uh, accompanying me when my friends and I started going to clubs. And eventually we started going to gay clubs. And when I got to those gay clubs, I was just so comfortable with what I saw as being men like me, men that were not stereotypically masculine, more pretty boys, you know. Um, And they weren't fighting against what they were being called anymore. They, in my mind at least, had decided I'm going to just go with this. And so I was around a bunch of people who were all just like, okay, if this is what I am, this is what I am. So I I dove into it. Um, but as I dove into it, I drank more and I used more drugs. So as I did something that was supposed to be who I really was and something that was supposed to be making me happy, I had to do more and more numbing behavior to be able to do it. Um, So that continued for many years, I did have thoughts, you know, I would see women that I thought were attractive. But I had such a distorted understanding of what attracted meant, I thought attracted to someone meant using them. So when I would see women that I was attracted to, I didn't want to use them. I wanted to be with them, you know, be close to them. But I would dismiss it because I'd tell myself, you're not attracted because you're not feeling lust. Men, I, I felt lust for because I was more comfortable using them in a sexual way than I was having a friendship because I didn't know how to be friends with them. Because I was so afraid after what my father had done as far as ripping my heart out, it felt like in hindsight, just, I love you. I love you. I love you. I want nothing to do with you. That's what it felt like happened. Um, so I just ignored any attraction I had to women and continued to try to have sexual relationships with men, but the physical activity that is involved with that is very quickly proved to be very unpleasant. Um, and I decided I would prefer to just have a fantasy life because the reality of it was not good. Um, So I continued to live that way. Eventually, the marijuana use became so heavy that I really didn't go out anymore, and I really didn't refer to myself as being gay anymore. I saw myself as more of a gamer and a pothead than I did, but I was still obviously looking for an identity, you know? Um, but those things eventually, I mean, when you try to replace God with things, eventually they drive you into the ground. Um,
1: yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay, well, let me, um, summarize and then you correct me where I'm wrong. Okay. Your father had a terrible childhood himself. Um, He had an abusive and traumatic childhood. We don't know Mm -hmm. the extent or the nature of the abuse, but we know it was bad and he never looked back and he never let you guys know your grandparents. He was a tender uh, and loving father when you were little, but then at a point he withdrew and um, you felt that abandonment acutely and so did your mom. And then you and she sort of made common cause on the same side of that Rift, uh, that divide. Um, And so he went off to wherever it was that he was going, and you were left together. So at the same time, some kids, when you were quite young, like in kindergarten, were calling you uh, names and calling you gay and calling you faggot and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, of course, for a kindergartner, that's absolutely meaningless. But in the 1970s and 80s, when we were little, right, um, that was a. Mm That, that was a thing. Uh, punchline on TV, on movies, it was just a way to kick somebody. We all know how cruel kids can be. We all remember being picked on, and we all remember picking on uh, another schoolyard uh, peer. So once you're separated from that social scene, you find growing up uh, in the gay clubs and the gay environs, uh, people who have a similar label and who have a devil may care attitude and so they are allies of yours plus you have um, chemicals, you have drugs and alcohol which uh, help and uh, give you numbness and pleasure and make the pain go away and so these become the substitute for all the lovely human relationships that you're supposed to have and you're supposed to have had at that developmental time but you didn't and so you have this
0: Mm -hmm.
1: at this point you're gay in the sense that these are the folks who accept you, so they're your people, but you don't feel a same-sex desire for love, romance, mm-hmm. um, and so on, it still feels alien, right? It still feels like you're going through motions and performing a role. Is that is that fair? Is that about right?
0: Yes, very good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and
1: also there's a lot there because I remember when we were in a schoolyard back in the eighties and somebody had brought a Playboy magazine that they got somewhere and we'd pass it around and we'd, you know, you'd see a naked woman and and that was it. That was what was available. And kids these days, you know, they have their phones and on the phones is pornography. And so they can see every kind of act and every kind of depravity and, uh, um, fetish, uh, but also just every like weird, cruel kind of sex that, um, just uh, the the gonzo uh, more extreme more extreme more extreme i teach a, i teach at a high school and so every once in a while somebody will be looking at their phone in between classes and they'll say hey oh yeah discussing what what the heck did you send me and sort of thing and uh, as a teacher you never you know you're never going to get to that kid in time to see what whatever they're looking at but i have a deep suspicion that they're that they're exposed to all kinds of things all kinds of things, and probably very quickly desensitized, and thinking about using people as objects um, in in perverse ways, in a way that took years and years of um, family trouble to to push you there. They could probably get there faster.
0: Yes, I agree. Yeah.
1: So I'm afraid for this generation for for that reason. We'll see how it goes, I suppose. So you think you're gay? But you don't really feel it, and you're taking a lot of drugs, and you're participating in that lifestyle, but then something happened.
0: Yes, it, it got to the point where it was no longer satisfying, and I was getting older, and I was becoming more aware of the fact that I was not accomplishing really anything with my life. I was just going through this cycle of go to work, get money, get high look at porn, play video games. And I'm getting into my mid and late thirties and wondering what is the point? What is the point? Like this, I, even though I didn't have a connect a relationship with the church anymore, I, I knew enough to know that there was a God and there's no way he made me for this. Um, so I started exploring, um, at a certain point, my mother came back to the Catholic church so, as I started exploring, she started kind of guiding me, and uh, she's very good at at moving people without aggression, which is not not something that I have necessarily picked up from her. but she she just wanted me to know what the church taught rather than what other people were telling me the church taught. Um, and so i I wanted to get off weed. Um, so I started praying, I started in putting little disciplines in place, you know, make my bed, floss my teeth, do the kinds of things I needed to do to set the stage for me to be able to make a big change in my mind for me to be able to do it. Um, but at the same time, I kept asking God cause I knew I couldn't stop. I'd been smoking weed so heavily for so long that I really could not imagine what my life would be like without it. I just thought I would fall apart. Um, And then at a certain point, I prayed and told God if he would help me, I would do whatever he wanted, if he would just help me stop smoking. Um, Within a few months of that, I believe, I went to visit my parents for a week. I asked if I could stay with them. I stayed with them for a week, and I never smoked again after that. And I was positive that God had done that for me. Um, That's
1: marvelous. Yes. That's a miracle
0: my father told me years later that when I told him I was coming up there for that, he told my mother, there's no way, there's no way. He's been smoking for so long and so heavily that he's going to just be able to stop like that. But I, God, God knew in hindsight, (laughs) I think he he knew like you have so many other things that you need to work on. This is the least of it. So I'm going to just move this out of your way so we can, get into these other things. Um, wait, wait. So does, so does this mean that
1: um, your parents are still together and your father's yes. still around?
0: Oh, yes. Yes. He never and left. Do
1: you ever ask him to explain what happened at that at that season of his life
0: or what was going No, we don't discuss. He will not talk about these kinds of things. So, but he's very, very, our relationship is completely different now. He's so affectionate and so complimentary and tells me what a good man I am and how much he loves me and how proud he is of me as a person and and as of a man, um, that that's changed my life. Just knowing that that the man that is the most important to me, that I didn't want to be the most important, um, the most important human man, I should say, um, sees me that way, sees me as a man. Yeah. <laughs> and sees me as a good man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, and how did he, I mean, did, did you learn how he was able to recover from his uh, dark, um, dark place? Did he, did he come to faith himself or or something like that?
0: Well, he hasn't, I would not say he's recovered. He just, okay. be, my mother told me at one point because of how I was changing, it was changing him. Um, because I would, I was very open with him about my emotions and my feelings. Um and I believe that 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 he, I believe that he and I are tender-hearted people, and I think he sees that in me. So he knows that he can be a certain way with me and be safe to do that. Where I don't think he really feels that way with almost anybody else. Um, so I think that's part of how God has helped him is him realizing it is okay. It's okay to to tell Garrett how you feel. He cries with me sometimes. Um, but he's still deep, deeply in darkness, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so then what happened? And so we just I, I decided I, I felt that I was called to be a priest. That's what I thought. Um, so I started living like one, basically, as much as I could. I started praying the liturgy of the hours, going to mass every day. My life rev- continues now, 11, 12 years later, after getting off weed that my faith is what my life revolves around. Um, And I decided at a certain point I wanted to now be confirmed. And um, I went to meet with a priest at my parish, um, and he is the one that brought up courage and uh, suggested that I get involved with courage. Um, I didn't really want to do that because I didn't really want to have the connections that it's trying to help us form, the healthy connections with other men. I didn't want to be accountable and I didn't want to be chased. <laughs> those are the main three points of courage. So I, I was like, all right, well, I'll do this, even though I don't really think it's, it's what I want. Um, and over, I've been encouraged now for nine years. I have had transformative things happen in my life because of that group, because of, in one instance, somebody just sat down and put their arm around me um, in a friendly way. And I, something, the Holy Spirit did something through that. I I became much more comfortable with physical contact with men. Where up to that point, I'd avoided it because I was so afraid of it becoming sexual, and I did not want that. Um, and another instance, I went to a healing service at the conference that they have every year. Um, and when the pre, I didn't want to do that either, because I thought it was going to be like me rolling around on the floor, you know speaking in tongues, whatever. I didn't want that. Um, And when the priest laid his hands on me, I felt like God was holding me. Um, And I have just, over time, developed strong friendships. I live with a member of Courage now. We moved in together right before the pandemic started. So I'm in like a, a Courage pressure cooker of being taught how to be friends with another man. As well as, obviously, the relationships I have with my brother and father, which are greatly improved. My mother and I have uh, a relationship like we should have now that's properly balanced. Um, And I have many, many male friends that I never had before. Um, That doesn't mean that I don't still struggle with the attraction. But when I have those attractions, I understand what's happening now so I can respond to them differently. I don't always do that. But I know that when I feel drawn to a man, that there's something else going on. And when I'm able to turn to God in that moment and ask him to help me deal with it and to understand it and to work through it, he always does. And what comes of it is always um, me feeling more confident, more masculine, and um, just the attraction is less and less. So you've
1: probably heard the stories of many many men, uh, and I hope most of them are not, you know, as painful as yours from such a generational and family um, injury that you faced as a kid when you were so young and vulnerable. Um, you also hear the stories of many men who are just who are just gay, happy, healthy, um, but just gay. Does God make some of His children gay? In in your judgment,
0: well, before I answer any of these questions, I just want to say I don't represent Courage. I am a member of Courage, but I, I, what I'm sharing with you is my own understanding and thoughts. It does not necessarily perfectly represent what they believe and teach, though I am, I am in line with what they teach. Um, I, I think first of all that there are so many things that influence how we develop that we're not aware of. Um, The analogy I used with a friend of mine once was if if you're six months old and you break your arm and your arm heals bent in the wrong direction, and then you grow up with your arm that way, you will think that that's just how your arm is because you don't remember what caused it. I think we have so many things going on in our lives and in the culture and society around us that that we're not aware of the impact that they have, um, that I personally encourage does not teach that, um, anybody is born gay. Um, they don't claim to know exactly what it is, what, what, how much of it is nature and how much of it is nurture or if it's all nurture or all nature. Um, I think that part of the problem is that we have our society is so sexualized that, um, Traits are sexualized, meaning if I'm a little boy and I like music, I'm told that might mean I'm gay. Like Liking music has now been attached to wanting to have sex with a man. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you taking something that is just a trait and assigning it to mean something? Uh, we We are very aware of like for young women you know we present them with certain models because we're aware of the fact that if we show little girls that all little girls all women are prostitutes that that is going to affect how they view themselves growing up same with different minority groups we try to present them with positive images and positive feedback but for some reason we have decided to disconnect that same idea when it comes to sexuality we think we can expose children in that are five or six years old to these ideas and that we're somehow being um, helpful to them by telling them that at five you get to pick what you are. you get to pick what what um, how to define yourself um, instead of saying this is this is how the church teaches us we are defined, and then when you have that core, understanding, then you compare everything to that. So if we understand that the church teaches that people are not born gay, then if we have this attraction, this feeling, we can say, okay, this is not what the church teaches is something that's good for me, that it's something sinful. So I can then say, what is going on with this? But we don't have that anymore. We don't have it in society, obviously, and we definitely don't have it in the church in a lot of cases where we say, this is the foundational truth of your existence, then if you have that, you, can, you develop differently. When there's all these options that people think are helpful, I think they just cause confusion and damage. And at the end of the video I made for Courage, the one part that I wanted put in there that was most important to me was when I said, Are you really happy or are you just happy because you think you have no other choice? I think that we have been presented with the idea that our feelings are our identity. And if we believe that, then we just accept it because there is no other option. And when you start to have all these problems that many of the people I know with same-sex attraction have, psychological things going on, you don't even think that it could have something to do with your behavior or how you're living You just ignore that because you've been told that that's who you are. And I think for me, at least, and the other people that I know, not just encouraged, but people I knew when I was living the lifestyle, the identity, that they had a lot of things going on that they couldn't figure out where they were coming from because their sexuality was something that they were told is based on their desires, not based on the design of God. So that, yes. And there's a lot of
1: mystery there. And um, it sounds to me like courage, you, you go to courage. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like courage is going around telling people you're, you are wrong in, your, in being gay. Come join us. It sounds like it's an apostle oh, no. for people who already feel a deep disquiet right. and are trying to so- sort out this tangle, this human tangle that comes from so many, yes. like you said, so many different factors we don't even know. Because we're also right. confronted with you know, um, you know, like neighbors who look like happy gay parents wearing sweaters and driving to soccer <laughs> practice. Like we, right? At least in California, you know, there's so there's so many, and certainly yes. on TV and in movies, right? That's a big, that's a that's a big part of what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you do you end up having frank conversations with? Um, Men who say they're gay who are like, you know, Garrett, I understand you had a really rough time of it, but this is what I this is what I think God
0: made me to be. I have had some of those conversations because of my YouTube channel. Um, And what I go back to is we if we can't we are. I mean, first of all, obviously, if I'm talking to people who are not Catholic, then that changes what I where I can come from with them, because if we're Catholic, there are certain things that being Catholic means we accept. If we don't accept those things, then we have to work through that, obviously. But at the same time, um, part of the problem, I believe, is that we're not being told that this is the truth. This is the truth of your identity. Like I said, then if you have that, then you can compare what you feel to that and move on from there, however you choose to move on. Um, But when you have people that say that they follow the teachings of the church, then tell you that you can use your conscience, whether it's rightly formed or not, to disagree with the teachings of the church, that isn't what the church teaches. The church teaches that part of being Catholic is to assent to the teachings of the church. What I had to do when I came back to the church was I, a prayer that I literally prayed to Jesus was, I don't know what the truth is, but I want to know it. So please show me the truth, even if it's not what I want the truth to be, because I did not want the Catholic church to be the truth. I did not want the teachings of the church to be the truth, not just about my sexuality, but about me having to love my enemy and about me having to you know, take care of poor people. I don't want anything to do with any of that because I wanted to do what felt right to me. But the more I stopped doing what felt right and started doing what the church told me was right, my peace increased, my depression decreased, my anxiety de- pre- decreased, all of the issues that I'd been going to therapy for that nothing helped suddenly started getting better when I started aligning my life with what the church told me was best, not what I felt. And I still struggle with that. I don't mean to, if I sound like I'm saying I've arrived, I'm far, far, far from having arrived, but that is what has given me what everyone told me I should get through doing what felt good. Not just in regard, not just regarding my sexuality, but you know, other things. Um, And that's what I continue to do, and that's what Courage is encouraging us to do in a loving way. Like you said, they do not go out and draft people. They're not showing up in people's bedrooms. They're not showing up at gay clubs. They're putting this message out there that this is what the church teaches. And the Catholic Church recognizes Courage as being the apostolate for people with same-sex attraction, not a apostolate. It's the apostolate within the church because it is the only apostolate. That follows the teachings of the church. Um, there are other apostolates that say they're trying that they're they're following the teachings of the church, but in many cases they've been corrected by the church because they're not. But they continue to do what they do anyway. Um,
1: it also sounds like what they're doing is the exact correct kind of evangelization, where you say, "Here's what I know is true. What do you think?" Right? They're not they're not hitting you over the head with anything. Right, uh, is it? I forget if it's Thomas Aquinas who said, like you or Augustine. I can't remember. But truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. You just let it out of its cage, and it, it's going to do the work on its own. Mm. And it doesn't require you That's to, beautiful. you know, shame somebody or, you know, like right. This, this was so many times in our history, we we evangelized the wrong way with, you know, at the point of a sword or something. And then this is sounds mm-hmm. just beautiful. I want you to um, right. Talk about what you think about uh, Father James Martin, whom I talked to and whom we've emailed back and forth about, and his b- building a bridge. And um, what do you think he's doing right? What do you think he's doing wrong?
0: Well, I, I, like I told you in our chat back and forth, I had not read his book when um, there were certain things that I'd heard him say that were... Um, I would say probably the base emotion was, I was hurt by them, but the reaction to that hurt was frustration and anger and wanting to correct him, which I, I did not do because he's a priest. Um, I let our, our executive director of courage has addressed some of the things that he said. Um, so I listened to your podcast with him and then I decided that obviously if I was going to have say anything about him on here, I needed to read his book. So, um, the things that I believe he's doing right, he said that the that he was talking about. Um, he mentioned several times in your interview, and I think in his book that that it wasn't fair that the church seemed to be not correcting, you know, people contracepting, people having mm-hmm. sex outside of marriage, heterosexual people, but they were correcting. Um, people that identify as LGBTQ, that I do agree with, but his solution to that problem and mine are different. His solution, from reading his book, seemed to be to to con- I consider that to be lowering the bar. I want the bar raised for me. I don't. I am perfectly capable of lowering the bar. I've done that obviously throughout my life with my behavior. I like that the bar that I'm being challenged to grow. And I feel like his approach, the way I interpreted it from what he said was, because we don't tell people they shouldn't be contracepting, because we don't tell people they shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage, then we shouldn't be saying anything to people with same-sex attraction either. I just, I don't agree with that. I agree with the idea that we need to to raise the bar for everybody. Um, But I don't think that what I heard him say was doing that. It seemed to just be... That, because he, that's when he he also spoke about people who are contracepting. We trust that they're using their conscience. If your conscience, if you're Catholic, mm-hmm. if your conscience is not aligned with the teachings of the Church, then you are not supposed to just go with that. Um, you are supposed to work through prayer, spiritual direction, therapy with a Catholic therapist, if necessary, to come bring yourself into alignment with the church. And I feel like not just Father Martin, but many priests, for some reason, I get the feeling that they no longer think we're capable of the greatness that Pope Benedict spoke of when he said, we're not called to comfort, we're called to greatness. I think there are a lot of people in the church that no longer think that we're capable of that. And I think in particular of people with same-sex attraction. We're treated like, like we're... Our se- to have sex is the most important thing to us, and if we're not allowed to do that, that w- that w- our lives are somehow being dim- diminished, and I, I don't agree with that at all. I think, obviously, sex between a man and woman in a marriage is a beautiful thing, a gift from God, um, but everyone outside of that is called chastity, and chastity properly lived is a beautiful thing, um, so while I do agree with his statement that people should all be called to the same greatness, I think that um, many people are not doing that in the church. Um, he said that people with, that are uh, consider themselves, identify themselves as LGBTQ should not be mistreated or harmed in any way. I 100% agree with that. Um, and the church should speak up about that. And I believe the church does. What his problem seems to be is that when they speak about it, they don't refer to people as gay. That seems to be what he has a problem with. Because the church always, whenever there's, when that shooting happened in Florida, the Pope, uh, the church spoke about that, but they didn't call the people that were killed gay people. That's what I think the problem really is, is he and a lot of the other people that agree with him want that name used want that identity used and the church will not do that because they f- they believe and i believe rightly so that it diminishes us to minimize us down to this one thing about us is to diminish us and take away from us that we're sons and daughters of god first and foremost um so yeah i'm sorry i know my agreeing with him is coming with caveats but um no i i can't just say i
1: Go ahead. Uh, so, uh, to, my so I think he does a really nice job of saying, "Look, I'm just trying to start the conversation," and um, and I tried to get him to say, do you, do "You, same question I asked you: Did God make some of His kids gay?" And he he doesn't know, right? Well, we don't know. It's such a mystery. Um, I think he does a really good job of saying, um, like you pointed out, we we know everybody's a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. You know you're a sinner. So uh, when I go to Mass, the first thing I don't want to hear is, oh, you, you know, did A, B, and C. And so that's his point. Like, oh, these, these, you know, these college kids are having, these Catholic college students are having sex outside of marriage. That's not what I'm going to hit them with when they come into Mass. That's going to be, you know, God loves you. That. So I think that's his aim. Like you don't want to start with step four. You want to step, start with step one and step two and step three. And then mm-hmm. like, just like courage has, you have to arrive at that point when you're ready to make a change, when you're ready, you know, whatever it is to, to, to stop drinking or to stop, you know, worshiping your career instead of taking care of your children, whatever the, you know, stop, whatever it is that each of us is, is dealing with. Um, right. I totally agree with you about the question of identity. And here I get to another pickle because this whole idea that some people are gay instead of do homosexual acts, right? That that's very mm-hmm. new that you have an identity, right? In the, I don't think there are. Right. And when I look when I look back at all the passages in the Bible where or um, homosexual or sodomy or whatever it is, you know, um, it's all right. it's all linked to like carousing and drunkenness and weird pagan temple rites that they were condemning. You know, they. The other people, the other tribes, not, not not the monotheistic, you know, children of Israel, but the weird pagans around them who are uh, acting crazy. So it's it, it they're not describing the same kind of gay people I see today where they are living in a committed civic marriage and they're raising children and they drive a station wagon and they, you know, they just seem like very normal married people, which would have been crazy when we were kids, right? When we were kids, that was unthinkable. Even, you know, even 20 mm-hmm. years ago, when you listen to how you take the most progressive people in our politics, how much, you know, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, how much they have had to change what they think in in the span of a decade because the society has transformed so quickly. Well the church transforms very slowly. And so, you know, to, another thing is contraception. There was no contraception a hundred years ago. So now all these Prelates have to sit down and have a and think about it and listen for the Holy Spirit and and figure it out. Whereas the Catholic in the pew is like, well, what am I going to do about this? Or or here's my um I what well, my 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 son is gay, my daughter is gay. Now what do I do? Well, now what do I tell them? Right? And uh, that's so hard. And I guess I guess that I like that he's saying I'm starting a conversation because he certainly doesn't have the answer. But I don't know.
0: Well, but I mean, the Church does teach that we are not. Identified by our sexuality. So when he says he's trying to start a conversation, if you're trying to start a conversation, and he is a priest, you know, one of the things he said that was disturbing to me was, you know, this is just me talking. I'm not the Pope. Mm-hmm. You're a priest. You don't get to go on with a collar on and make statements with a collar on and then say, but I'm not speaking as a priest. Of course you are. Your identity is priest. I'm a hairdresser as a job. Mm-hmm. I can stop, you know, I'm not a hairdresser right now. Yeah. When you're a priest, you're a priest, you know? So that bothers me when because if I say something to you, I take responsibility for what I'm saying and for me when I hear him say that it sounds like he's trying to get people to hear a different perspective from a priest but at the same time say I'm just speaking as a person or something. Um even though he says that with, with, you know, humility and perhaps it's
1: false, but I think it's real. He's saying, I'm not the editor of my magazine. I'm not the general of my order. I'm not the Pope, but he has met with the Pope a a couple of times and, and been encouraged in doing exactly what he's doing by, by the Pope, by Pope Francis.
0: Yes. I think that's problematic. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's where the
1: dialogue is, isn't it? It's between the Pope and the Cardinals and the, like they're sorting it out. I mean, it's
0: slow. And so
1: what do we do about it?
0: Well, right. But th- I mean, the the teaching of the church, This, I mean, this is going to be more graphic, but this, one of the things I was reading an article about when all the debate was going on with gay marriage, and the person that was writing the article said that in every case, one of the things he noticed um, that was missing from any of these discussions was what goes on in gay sex. Now I'm not going to get graphic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But these, like you said, in scripture, when it talks about sodomy, it's talking about the act. It's not identifying it as a person, the person necessarily. Um, These acts, I have a friend who told me long before he ever became Catholic, the first time he had sex with another man, he said to me, my body let me know that there is something wrong with what I just did. Mm -hmm. These behavior. Yeah. Homosexuality is a behavior. It's not a if you like hanging out with guys, if you like all these things that have now become identifiers as homosexual things are not they're just they're just traits. You know, you could love ballet. It doesn't mean you want to have sex with a man. So all of that part can be set aside. So what is left is what identifies you as being a gay man or a, a woman that's attracted to another woman is sexual. And that those acts have been condemned in the Bible. That's not something that needs to be um, worked on. It's something that is determined already and What seems to be happening is in in a desire to be compassionate and merciful and try to understand people, which is a good thing, we're trying to open up something that should not be opened up. Those acts have been called intrinsically disordered by the church because of what they are. And like I said, I don't want to get into a graphic description, but if you do get into a graphic description... When you start to describe them, you immediately know there is something not right here. And I don't mean not right in a judgmental way. I mean, in a physical way, what it does to your body, the effect that it has on your body, the disorders and the diseases that are caused by this behavior. So to open up a discussion in the church about a identity that revolves around behavior, and I'm not saying, I know men that don't have sex that identify themselves as gay. So I'm not trying to say that it's automatic, mm-hmm. but that is what being gay is about. It's about sex between men and those, those behaviors have already been dealt with. So why they're being opened up in a, in a, in a discussion, we yeah. can discuss how to go ahead. Yeah, you're right.
1: Uh, the body has uses and sex is for reproduction. That's just what it's for. Just like feet are for walking, even if I can walk on my hands, that's not what they're for. But there's also a mystery about that, too, because if we talk about what is natural and how, how genes are passed down, well, well, being gay is not a gene that would very likely find its way to
0: offspring, right? Well, they've never found a gene.
1: I mean, they, they... Yeah, yeah, you're right. But I just mean that this is nurture, not nature. And so if I wanted to belong to a society where we all walk on our hands, you probably don't want to come and tell us that, that we are wrong.
0: No, I agree. But you also can't say, I want to do what is the opposite of what the church teaches, and I demand that you accept it. And that's what this comes down to. This is people who have made a a choice in how they live. I'm not saying anybody chooses their feelings, but what they are doing and what I did for a long time is say, I am going to do what I feel, even though you are telling me it's not good for me, and I demand that you accept it and, and affirm it. And there's a yeah. difference between those two. There's one, the church, like I said, is not going into your bedroom. It's not at your club. It is just declaring what is good for you and your soul. And if you are so bothered by that, I think that there is something else going on because I think God's law is written on our hearts. And I think when someone speaks truth to us that we don't like, we should know enough to stop and say, why is that bothering me so much? Because if you tell me the sky is purple and I know the sky is blue, I'm not going to be bothered by it. But if you tell me something about myself that I already may have some confusion about or I'm not clear on, even though I may say I'm sure, if I am mm. so demanding of you to accept me that I will go through what a lot of people go through, I think it it shows that there is um that they're not as certain as they want themselves to believe they are. I think we all want to live a life that is not conflicted. And so what we try to do is we try to build a world around us that doesn't cause us to question ourselves anymore. We don't want to ask questions. We just want to live our lives and be accepted and move on. Society in general has done that with certain things that the church says, these are not good for you. And the church has not done a good job of teaching it that way. Unfortunately, they've taught it as sometimes just do what you're told, you know? Yeah, um, you're right. We have to get better at saying sin does something to you that is destructive to your ability to love God. And God wants your love because He is, if you have no connection to Him, you're an eternal being. We're born and we never die. You're going to live forever. Your Part of your purpose here is to figure out what, how you're going to live for eternity. If you love God, this is how it ends for you. If you choose not to love him, this is how it ends for you. By choosing these behaviors, he has lovingly taught us that these behaviors disconnect you from me. We may not understand Why? But God's mind is not our mind. His ways are not our ways. We cannot arrogantly assume that because we don't understand what his church and his scripture and our tradition has taught us is right, that just because it doesn't work for us, that we know better. And that's, to me, what it feels like we have moved into is when Father Martin said he tells his LGBTQ friends to be patient with the church. No, we don't need to be patient with the church. The church is what we're supposed to be moving towards, not the church making itself more revolve around our desires and our understanding. And I think that it is a spirit of pride for a lot of people, and not that they're it's it's intended to be. Um, it's, it's prideful in a way where they think they're better than or something like that. But it still comes down to you will not yield your understanding to the authority of the church. And I that's what I've had to do. And all I can tell people, like I've already said to you, is that stepping away from these things has brought me peace. And I know people in the Courage Apostolate from all different people that never lived the life people that were party people, people that were involved in making porn, people that, you know, so it's not like everybody lived like me. And everybody there will tell you, even though it's very difficult, that following what the church teaches has brought them what they were seeking in those things that society tells us should make us happy. And I think that it's our job as Catholics, and especially clergy, to reinforce that, not cause people to question if they're questioning it that's fine but to encourage questioning encourage people to feel like maybe the church is wrong i think that's very damaging i
1: think i think you summarized it beautifully that's uh
0: that's a really yeah and then to also say
1: that and like you do encourage to be gentle and wait for people to come to you right. rather than go out and you know hit them over the head in in, in their bedrooms any more than right. you can Like I might want to just drink a bottle of whiskey every day, but you can't tell me to stop. One day I have to wake up and say like, you know, I feel terrible
0: right? and uh, my relationships are in tatters and I'm having a hard time keeping a job. Maybe it's the whiskey, right? And then I come to you. Well, but for that to happen, someone has to at some point have gently and lovingly told you whiskey might be a problem. So that then when you do hit bottom, you know enough to look at that. But if you're told that whiskey is a normal part of your life, then you're going to look all around at everything but whiskey. And that's what I feel like is happening because people are being told that is who you are. Then when they do start to have problems, they don't even question that. They go right to maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And they go through the rest of their lives not having the peace they want because they've been told that they are something that they are not.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know we've been talking for an hour, so I don't know if you have time for for one more one more thing. Sure. Okay. This took me a long time to realize. Uh, and but I find it really sneaky that when talking about our gay brothers and sisters, we use the term LGBT or LGBTQ or LGBTQIA plus because they are so different from each other. Mm-hmm. To be LG, lesbian or gay, and to live with the same sex attraction is one thing and it's mm-hmm. one way of being a man or a woman. And if we take the church's view, it's not good for us. And if we take the uh, mainstream secular view, it's just a different way to organize a perfectly happy and functional family. And then the B, bisexual, I suppose is similar, but inclines towards, if I'm understanding it correctly, a variety of partners of different kinds, which in any case is against cultural expectations for straight people too. But it's really the T that is so different. Because mm-hmm. uh, the T is a very different category. And because I'm not talking about my attractions but my very being and it's almost the opposite of being gay Mm -hmm. a gay man says of course i'm a man but i'm a different kind of man while as a transgender person seems to say that because i'm a different kind of man therefore i must not be a man so in that way they're opposites they're opposites and the only thing they have in common is that these were not options that were permitted or that were licit a century ago right
0: I mean, when I was uh, involved in the life, uh, living that identity, I I knew a lot of drag queens. I don't think that term is used anymore, but they were not necessarily transgender people. Some were, some weren't. A lot of them were men that just dressed in women's clothes. But I did know some people who were doing... You know, they weren't necessarily having a sex change, but they were, you know, having silicone injected to have breasts and to change the shape of their face and all of that. And even at that time, what I told people and my friends didn't like it, though, as with a lot of things that I've said to some of my friends, they didn't disagree. They just didn't like it because they thought it wasn't nice. Um, Is that if you were to meet one of the people that I knew um, and they were dressed You know, they had a beard and they were dressed in traditional clothing that's associated with men. And you were to talk to them, you would know something else was completely going on with them that had nothing to do with their sexuality. Um, And that's one of the things that I think is the saddest about what goes on with all the transgender stuff in particular is that they're being told that their feelings are correct. So once again, they don't even question that. When I was growing up, and I assume when you were, I remember hearing about people, and they had to go through a long process before they were ever allowed to take hormones. They had to go through first living in their house. They would have to dress in women's clothes just in their own house. Then they would start calling themselves by a woman's name. Then they would start to go out in public dressed in women's clothes. and That went on for a couple of years before there was any talk of hormones or or surgery. Now, if you say you're, you feel like you're in the wrong body, I don't think it's immediate, but it is very quick that you're put on these drugs. And at very young ages, obviously. Um, I, I always thought that I, I mean, I was not nice about it, but basically what I would say is don't put me in the same category as those, those people. I said, because we're not the same. That was back when I was living that way. The bisexual thing, I don't have a problem with because I think it's actually a little more, it's probably more reflective of the way things are seen now, which I don't agree with, and that it's, it's not one or the other. Um, you can be attracted to men and you can be attracted to women. Um, if you're using that as what you described it as, as a reason to go out and hook up with multiple people and have, you know, this and that going on. Um, but I think it's, it's more indicative of the confusion that a lot of people feel that, I mean, that's one of the things when I was living that way, people would talk to me as a gay man about things that they would have never said to Chris because they didn't want you to view them as having any questions. You know, they wanted you to view them as they know who they are and that's it. But I mean, when the gay marriage thing first started, my best friend who was gay, he's passed away. Um, both of us said no. And I still I, I work in a gay neighborhood as a hairstylist. Um, and one of my clients one day was talking about this gay man in his in this this client is gay and he and he has a partner, a permanent partner. Um, And he was referring to another gay man in his building he was having a problem with. And he said him and his husband, though, there is no such thing as a husband for us. So even within the gay community, there are people that do not think like everyone else, but they don't say it. They don't say it to other people unless they know that they'll understand it. Um, And they certainly don't say it to people on the outside because like I said earlier, they just want to move on. They don't want people asking them questions. They don't want to be questioning things themselves. They just want to do what they're doing and not have to think about it. Um, So the bisexual thing, a lot of people when they came out when I was younger, they would say they were bisexual first because it made people more comfortable to think they were still at least attracted to the opposite sex. Um, But I think it's actually become more prevalent now. Um, now, obviously, with women with same-sex attraction, it's more, in general, it tends to be more relational. With men, it's more physical. So even within Courage, um, we come together at conferences and stuff like that. But a lot of the time, the women that are involved with Courage either will meet with smaller groups of other women or with the, the uh, chaplain one-on-one, because it's just not the same um issues they're not dealing with the same issues in general,
1: well, Gary Johnson, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for your generosity, for your honesty for uh sharing the difficult um and the difficult journey of your life uh I've learned a lot from you, and I really appreciate it. I hope that somebody out there is hearing your voice right now and is feeling is feeling not alone,
0: yes. I hope the same just so they know it's couragerc.org if they want to go online there are resources for parents and loved ones there are resources for people who are experiencing attractions and there are uh, uh, there's videos there's you know documents there's um it's all sorts of resources and it will also direct you if you want to find a meeting in your area to help you do that
1: yeah. And um, would you like to close us with a a blessing or sure. a prayer?
0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the gift of our faith in your holy Catholic Church. We come to you and ask that this conversation between Chris and I would um, help open minds and hearts, that um, those listening would, would be open to the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that we would... Um, Ask the question that I asked you, that we would ask for the truth, no matter what it is, no matter how difficult it is for us to hear it, that we would be open to that truth and recognize that your love for us is so great and that that love sometimes moves us in directions that we don't want to be moved in. I pray that we would all say yes to you. We would say yes to you moving in our souls, that we would say yes to you speaking through us and helping us to uh, love all of those around us with. Christ like love. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nails, spears shall pierce him through the cross, be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son.
1: Chris Hedinitz and Garrett Johnson recorded this conversation on January 4th, 2022, which was the 11th day of Christmas. It was the feast day of St. Angela of Foligno, who lived 800 years ago. She spent her early years chasing worldly things, but turned to God in her 40s. She became a Franciscan tertiary and led others along this path. She practiced charity, penance, and humility, and she received mystic visions. She wrote, the more you pray, the more illumined you will be. And the more profoundly and intensely you will see the supreme good, the supremely good being. The more profoundly and intensely you will see him, the more you will love him. And the more you will love him, the more he will delight you. And the more he delights you, the better you will understand him and you will become capable of understanding him. You will then reach the fullness of light, for you will understand that you cannot understand. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is from English.op.org. I thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time.
0: This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing.